It's good to be back in the pulpit with you uh, this morning after being away last weekend. I'm thankful for Drew and not just his ministry at RUF, but his ministry among you here. And I trust that you were uh, edified and pointed to Christ uh, as he proclaimed the word uh, to you. This morning, we return to our study of the book of Proverbs. Uh, For those of you who are visiting this morning, we have been in the book of Proverbs virtually all summer for the past few months anyway, seeking to grow and learn what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. That's what Solomon says is the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Now that summer is essentially over, I think tomorrow is the first official day of of autumn. Now that summer is officially over, I want us to uh, move on from Proverbs, but I want us to spend just a couple more uh, weeks here in this study. Uh, there is so much that we could cover, much too much to cover in a summer, but I do want to cover two more weeks this week and next, and then uh, beginning October 5th, our first. Uh, Sunday of the Discipleship Hour, we will return uh, to our study of the book of Acts. Uh, We are about halfway through the book of Acts, and that's just kind of a, it's a loose end that's flapping in the wind, and we can't just leave it behind. We've got to tie that up, and so we're going to do that uh, in a few weeks as we return there. If you would, as I've asked you to do in past weeks as we've studied the book of Proverbs, I encourage you to grab your insert with me rather than opening up your Bibles. It's too hard to flip around in your Bible. If you look on your insert, there are basically three groups of verses. Uh, three, two, three. Uh, three, two, three is the references there. And uh, I want to cover those groups of verses um, with three distinct mini-messages or mini-sermons. Um, I suspect that most of us uh, in this room will be targeted by at least one of these group of verses. Not all of us will be targeted at the same time by these groups of verses. But I want to remind you, even when God's Word is not speaking directly to you in your stage of life or in your context, that this Word is not just a how-to book. It's not a, just a guide for your lives. But it's the Word of God. It's a reflection of God's character. And therefore, it's profitable in some sense for all of us all the time. And so I encourage you to think that way as we maybe move into subject areas that don't directly pertain to you. Uh, We, of course, did that a couple weeks ago as I spoke more uh, directly at parents. Well, this morning as we begin, I want to just start by reading the first three Proverbs that you see there in your insert. Uh, Those will get us started, starting with Proverbs 10, verse 1, and then we'll sing uh, the Gloria Patri uh, as we conclude hearing God's Word. Listen as I read. This is God's holy word. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. 
the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Wow. This is the word of the Lord. We begin our message this morning with one of those relationships that is inescapable for every one of you in this room. It's the simple fact that you have had at one point, or if your parents are now deceased, you have had, or you have, a mother and a father. And whether you are young, as many of you in this room are, and this message is for you kids as much as it is for the adults in this room, or whether you're old, as I know many of you in this room are, the Bible says something to you about how you treat your mother and your father. It's worth noting again, as I began two weeks ago, when we looked at a group of Proverbs that had to do with parents and children, it's worth noting, once again, that God has a high view of the family. Of course, the family, that structure, is something that God created. It's something He made, but even more than that, the family is what God has given the means by which, or one of the means by which, we grow in grace and He builds His kingdom. And I say that because it's so easy for us in our highly mobile culture, with an overemphasis at times in the evangelical church about the individual's relationship with Jesus, to forget that God works through our families. It's not to say that God doesn't deal directly with individuals. It's not to say that you don't need an individual relationship with Jesus. You do. But never to the neglect of the family. This fact, this high esteem, this holding up of the family that God does obviously has huge implications for us. We talked about two weeks ago. Huge implications for parents and the way they discipline and the way they disciple their children. But it also means, as we're going to focus on for the next few minutes, that wisdom calls us as children to treat our parents in a certain way. And that's where we begin with the first of three paths of wisdom that we're going to look at. We're going to look at three different paths of wisdom this morning. And the first one is this, kids. The way of wisdom seeks to bless one's parents. The way of wisdom seeks to bless one's parents. I'm essentially rewording that first verse that we read, Proverbs 10.1. A wise son makes a glad father. But a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And whether you're young or whether you're old this morning, this applies to you. And before we think through a little bit about how this applies to you, I want to say just a couple things. One, it matters what you do. And I want especially our young people, especially our kids, our preteens, to, to, to hear me. It matters what you do. Your lives are connected. You are an individual. 
Absolutely. Created uniquely by God in His image to do a specific thing to His glory. And yet you are connected. And you will always be connected to your family. And the decisions that you make in your life will either bring blessing to those who are raising you or they will bring sorrow to those who are raising you. Now, I know that some of you think, well, that's a given. You don't need to say that. Yes, I know it matters what you do. Let me tell you, I remember being a youth. And one of the epidemics in youth culture is that sometimes our youth don't think through the consequences of what they do. They just act. The Bible reminds us this morning that our actions matter. There's consequences of your actions, wise and foolish, not just for you, but also for your parents. Of course, this was particularly true in the culture to which Proverbs was written, in the ancient Near East culture where, where families were interconnected, where we, we weren't scattering all across the nation and all across the globe as we do now. But it's still important today. It matters what you do. That's the first thing I think that's worth saying. The second thing is I know some of you in this room are thinking about worthiness. What do I mean by worthiness? Well, what I mean is maybe your parents raised you with all kinds of deficiencies. All kinds of sin. And to this day, they are so difficult to deal with. I know many of you live in that reality today. But notice that these verses from Proverbs, it doesn't appeal to the worthiness of your parents to be blessed. It doesn't appeal as to whether they succeeded or failed in raising you. It appeals simply to the position that God has given them of authority over your life. Listen to your father Proverbs 23.22 says, who gave you life? Who gave you life? And of course, we would take that a step further and say, well, it's not just my mother and father who gave me life, who are worthy of my honor and respect because I have breath because of them, but it's also because of my heavenly Father who placed this authority over me in my life. I turned 40 this year, and I know that the older I get, the more experienced in the world I become, the more vividly I see and I recognize my parents' weaknesses and failings and shortcomings. And the temptation for us, the temptation for me as I have gotten to this point in my life, is to become overly critical. And for some of you, in extreme cases, to to altogether abandon your family, almost as if paying them back for all the grief that they put you through. More than once, I have had to, to bite my tongue 
wanting to criticize my mother or my father. When frankly, the criticism that I was ready to give them is criticism that could be aimed directly at me as well. See, as God's agents of authority in our lives, it's the fifth commandment. We're called to honor our fathers and our mothers. To bless them. And this, of course, looks differently depending upon how old you are in this room. I think the Proverbs in some way addresses that. I mean, the Proverbs is most acutely directed from a father to his son, to someone who is in youth, someone who is very much still submitting and under the authority, under the house authority of his parents. And so to you young people, to you kids in this room, the whole book of Proverbs, but especially these verses that we read this morning, remind you that you need to obey your parents. Even when you don't understand. Because this pleases the Lord. So Paul told the Colossian church, Colossians 3.20, Obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And kids, I know that's hard sometimes. But you're called to obey. And it's not just an obedience, but it's also an obedience that honors. I love this, this, this proverb about the eye. Because it does two things. One is it shows how serious God considers our relationship and our interaction with our parents. It's a serious thing. But the eye that mocks is something that I think we in our culture can get our heads around. Right? The rolled eyes. The disgusted looks. Don't you give me the stink eye. All those things just reflect a heart that may be obeying, but it's not a heart that's honoring. It's not a heart that is seeking to bless one's parents. And to the rest of you who aren't giving the stink eye on a regular basis to your parents anymore, to the rest of us, to those of us who are older, these words of wisdom in the book of Proverbs remind us of the interconnectedness of our lives all our days. And the call to honor and esteem our parents even when they're old. Do not despise your mother, the proverb says, even when she is old. And so wisdom asks this morning, how are you blessing your parents? How are you honoring and esteeming your mother and your father? Just because you're old and gray, just because you live on the other side of the country, doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to bless your parents. I know many of you are doing this. Many of you have done this as you have cared, as you are caring for your aging parents. Many of you are doing this as you walk in the faith of your father and your mother and you walk in faithfulness to them. 
Think intentionally. Ask yourself intentionally, how can I bless? As I was thinking about this section, as I was thinking about this verse, I couldn't help but think about the Lord Jesus. And how, of course, that kind of life, especially if you're in a situation where it's hard to bless your parents because of who they are. This is the kind of life that starts with the Gospel. It starts with the Lord Jesus. And as we think about the life of the Lord Jesus, and we think about the life of the Son in obedience to the Father and to His will, it's because Jesus faithfully said and lived Thy will be done, not my will be done. That we have the power to love and to bless even those in our lives who are unlovable and are hard to bless. Jesus heard those words from His Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It's because of that pleasure of God the Father bestowed on God the Son and because of our union with God the Son that we are recipients of that pleasure, that we are recipients of that grace and that grace can overflow into our relationships. The way of wisdom blesses one's parents. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning this first set of verses. As we move on, these next set of Proverbs focus on the preservation, both the future and the present preservation of one of the most significant relationships in our lives, in our society, in our church that must be guarded, that must be preserved, that must be protected. There are lots of different ways we could explore this in the book of Proverbs, but the way I've chosen to do this is to speak first to men and then to wives. And so first, listen to these verses, the second group there from Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 6. This is God's Word. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Do not desire her, now he's talking about the adulterous woman again, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Here's what I want us to remember from this group of Proverbs. Wise men don't play with fire. Wise men don't play with fire. As I think about these Proverbs, I think about my own life. I was a boy who used to love to play with fire. Terrible. I don't even know if my kids know this, but 
I used to sneak away with my buddy Brian, and we used to go off to the industrial park. There were a big construction site there, and we used to light these little fires. You know, take a book of matches when we were a little boy and just light these fires and just, oh, it was just so fun. And you girls were looking like, why would that be fun? And you guys were like, yeah, I know. It's fun. But I also remember playing with another kind of fire because I remember sneaking off to that same industrial park with another friend who would bring magazines that we, sh- we could look at as little boys. Inappropriate magazines for us to look at. I played with fire as a boy, both literally and figuratively, figuratively and I got burned. And it's only by God's grace that I didn't get absolutely scorched. Because men, you know all too well how easy it is to get burned by fire these days. See, there are two things going on in these sets of verses. This is a father instructing his son thousands of years ago. The same stuff we're dealing with today. And he says, first of all, stay away from foolishness. He he gives this kind of metaphorical personification of folly, of foolishness. And he characterizes foolishness as this alluring woman that will tease you, that will allure you to come to her. And the Father is saying, in a very general sense, stay away from foolishness. And what that represents. But he's also saying something very pointedly about temptation. He's speaking to his boy very pointedly about sexual temptation. And it's something that we men need to think about often. It's something we dads need to make sure we protect our sons. Because there is a real danger, and God's Word reminds us of it this morning, there is a real danger of drifting eyes. And and it's something no one in this room is exempt from. No man is exempt from. Anne and I recently watched a movie um, upon, upon a recommendation called Ragamuffin. And uh, it's the story, it's the life story of Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a singer-songwriter within the Christian music industry, died in the late 90s in a car accident, but was uh, kind of an agitator in the Christian mu- uh, music scene, a Christian music scene that likes to put on a, a front of, of clean, sanitary, good, uh, what, what does it say, positive words, Encouraging words, positive music, K-Love, or however that tagline on the radio goes. We watched this documentary. It was just fascinating. It was refreshing for a man in his position to be honest about the struggles. And they had this little clip at the end about one of the songs he wrote. It's one of my favorite songs. It's called Hold Me, Jesus. And it's a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And he says that, he says as he describes how he wrote that song, he, he described this in a concert, that he wrote the song when he was on tour in Amsterdam. Now, Rich Mullins never married. He's a single guy all his life. And he said in this concert that early on in his travels, he would travel by himself, and that was just something that he shouldn't do. 
And so he always traveled with a buddy of his, a Christian buddy of his, who could help him be accountable in those hotel rooms far from home. And he says one night in Amsterdam, he, he laid in bed, and his, his buddy was laying in the bed next to him in the hotel room. And he says, I was just waiting. I was waiting to hear him snore. Because as soon as he snored, I was going to get up. And I was going to go explore the streets of Amsterdam. And it's not that I wanted to sin, he says. It's just that I, I wanted to be tempted to sin. And as he describes it, his buddy never snored that night. And so he never got out of his bed. And about four in the morning, as he kind of wrestled with his flesh all night, he wrote this song, the song of prayer for Jesus to hold him and to protect him in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this war. And, and I heard that and I said, wow, how that describes us so often. We don't, we don't want to fall headlong into sin. Some of us have done that. And for you, there is forgiveness. But many of us, we just want to be tempted. We just want to flirt. We want to get as close to sin as we can without actually sinning. And Solomon says to his son, no, don't do it. Don't play with fire. We can't carry fire and not be burned. We can't walk on coals and not be scorched. That's where many of us are. So we're flirting and we dabble. We need to remember not only this encouragement, but the encouragement of Proverbs 4.23 where it says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 5 as He talks about the drastic measures. Remember this, the drastic measures that we might need to take. He says, You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. We've looked at that passage before. Jesus is not talking about self-mutilation. He's not literally talking about those things, but He's getting across the gravity of the situation. Don't play with fire. Guard your heart. And of course, if we were to tie in the beginning of Proverbs... And the fear of the Lord, it begins by being captured and controlled by who God is. He's a God of white, hot, burning holiness. He's a God who works for the good of all those who love Him. He's a God who can be trusted. The Proverbs for us in this room who are married remind us to run to your wife. As you flee the fire, run to your wife. Drink the water from your own well and enjoy the goodness of God given to you. That's how it's supposed to be. So soak up the delight that God has given to His people, men. 
And I know that many of you in here are unmarried, and for you, all I can say is trust and pray. Trust and pray and and wait. Because it's worth waiting for. And don't forget about your high priest. Don't forget about the Lord Jesus who was here in the flesh as a man and fled the fire for the sake of the honor of His Father and for our sake. This is wisdom. Well, we need to finish one last set of verses the last three you see before you, Proverbs 27, 15. Let me read them and then we'll close. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. One last thing for us to think about this morning. It's directed to you in this room who are wives. Wise wives entrust themselves to the Lord. Wise wives entrust themselves to the Lord. Now what do I mean by that? Why do I feel like I need to talk about this for a few minutes? Well, simply because you've heard the phrase henpecked husbands. Henpecked husbands and nagging wives, it seems to be all that we see in our culture, in movies and in television, when when relationships are depicted. And yet that's not what God calls women, that's not what God calls wives to be. You see, I think these last group of verses and this last encouragement directed to wives, it addresses what was stated in the fall at the very beginning. It's an ongoing temptation for wives to rule over your husbands. To rule them. As a result of the fall, there's this constant struggle over leadership in the home. Women so often want to control, and and men, husbands, we often help them by rolling over and doing nothing, which makes them want to control and lead all the more. See, that natural nature from the fall is accompanied in many of your lives, in many of your marriage relationships, by marriages that have not lived up to expectations by men who never seem like they're going to change. And therefore, therefore maybe you're, you're filled with resentment. So the result of that kind of woman, that kind of heart, is drip, drip, drip. It's this vivid picture that the book of Proverbs gives. We often think of a faucet, but of course they didn't have faucets in the ancient Near East. It probably was referring to a leaky roof and the annoyance of a drip coming in a leaky roof. This incessant burden. As a woman takes the bull by the horn, so to speak, and rants and raves and cries and complains and 
From the husband's perspective, he has a wife who wants to rule rather than wanting to help. And I think, as we look at God's word, wives, I think the answer is in that great chapter that I know many of you are intimidated by. We we haven't looked at it in full, but Proverbs 31 The Proverbs 31 woman, that verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is the key for wives entrusting themselves and guarding against being what's described here. I say wives entrust themselves to the Lord because I think that's the only way in a relationship with an imperfect and broken man that you cannot live and not be these things. Only as you look to the Lord, only as you pray for His strength, only as you pray for His patience, only as you strive for contentment in Him and your lot in life. Only the fear of the Lord can create such a woman. And only the gospel of grace can fuel such a life. Wise wives entrust themselves to the Lord. That is wisdom. It's not easy to do. Men, we can help them. Husbands, we can help them do that. But that's what pleases the Lord. Three distinct things for us to think about this morning as we go from this place. The way of wisdom blesses one's parents. Wise men flee the fire. And wise wives Entrust yourselves to the Lord, all by His grace and all for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, we read this and we confess how hard it is at times for us to be wise and to war with our flesh, and to live by the Spirit. And yet we know that as we trust in Christ, as we are united with Him, that that same Spirit that raised Him to life on the third day resides in us, giving us the power to not be slaves anymore to our sin, but to live lives of wisdom and righteousness. And even then, we know we're going to fall short. And yet we strive. And we strive resting in the Gospel and the assurance that because we are riding the coattails of our Savior, that we can receive that same pronouncement. Well done. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom... I am well pleased. Oh, Father, impress these things upon our hearts, we pray. Work in us, your church, your people, that which is pleasing to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.